This week's episode is brought to you by Leslie Bowden. Leslie is an absolute legend from the Central Coast who always comes down for shows, is uh, always following around tours and uh, getting out to support uh, heaps of friends at the show and heaps of fantastic uh, local and international artists. Sometimes he even brings his dad, which is both hilarious and awesome. I cannot speak highly enough of Leslie and uh, all of his support and uh, all of his work as a team player. Why are we talking about him? Well, because he is a part of the Patreon. That is right. Leslie is donating $10 a month to keep this podcast up online, which is absolutely amazing and so, so, so very appreciated. If you want to be a legend like Leslie, Leslie the legend, you know, bit of alliteration there for you, uh, <laughs> head over to patreon.com slash barbands. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash b-a-r-b-a-n-d-s. And you can help keep this show up online and get a couple of cool little benefits along the way. It's all, all so, so very appreciated. And yeah, for as little as $1 a month, you can help keep this podcast up online and help us make the best podcast possible. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks, you guys. Enjoy the show. Hey kids, it's David Jimjong here for another episode of All My Friends Are in Bar Bands. Hope you're doing well. It's uh, been a little while since we had a chat. Uh, sorry I didn't get to speak to you last week. Some minor scheduling issues uh, came up and uh, unfortunately wasn't able to get out an episode last week, but I'm making up for it this week with an absolute doozy. Uh, this one is with Jeremy Neal. Jeremy is an absolutely brilliant multi-instrumentalist and singer-songwriter based out of Brisbane. You might know him as a solo artist. You might also know him as the lead singer of the band Velociraptor. He's been in a bunch of other bands in and around Brisbane as well. He is an absolute charmer, an absolute uh, top-notch performer, and one of the best live acts in the country. And uh, we had a chat all the way back in November, and so... So it's finally uh, getting up <laughs> some over over six months later. So uh, <laughs> I apologize profusely for the for the delay on that. But uh, as you can tell, the scheduling has just been absolutely hectic uh, for the podcast. Um, we are booked out for over a month now. We have some absolute corkers coming up for you, including some very very cool international guests that I will tell you about as they encroach. But uh, Needless to say, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be very, very happy indeed to be seeing these names coming up. Of course, if you do want to find out uh, before anyone else, you can find out by subscribing on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. I've told you all about it at the top of the episode, so I don't need to go into much further detail. But yeah, even if you just chip in a couple of bucks a month, 
you'll be able to find out before anyone else who is coming up on the podcast. I will be doing a uh, send-out of a newsletter of sorts probably on Monday, so uh, I'll have some news for you guys then for the loyal and legendary patrons. Before we go any further, of course, support comes from Spit the Dummy Records and Sad Girls Club. Uh, Spit the Dummy Records have just put out Nothing Rhymes with David's second album, Things Work Out for People Like You. Uh, which got a really, really lovely review in the brag this week and uh, uh, even got a play on FBI Radio, which is uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, so if you want to check out the album, you can head over to spitthedummyrecords.bigcartel.com where you can uh, pick up a pre-order for tapes, shirts and tote bags. Sad Girls Club, meanwhile, uh, have some cool shows coming up, including the Sadometer Tour. That is a, a little quick run of shows featuring Rachel Maria Cox, friend of the show Spencer Scott, and Bofolk Balico. And they are doing a quick little run of shows in the middle of June. So if you are interested, uh, please head over to sadgirlsclub.com. That is S-A-D-G-R. R-R-L-S-C-L-U-B dot com. I think that's about it, uh, but uh, please get out and support live music however you can this weekend. I've got some cool shows coming up, getting to see some friends of the show in action, and uh, I'm looking forward to that immensely. And uh, yeah, got some cool shit coming up for you. I guess I can tell you who next week's guests are going to be. It is the Gooch Palms. That's right, all the way from Newcastle, New South Wales. We have Leroy McQueen and Cat Friend, the absolutely wonderful and often hilarious Gooch Palms. So a lot to look forward to on that front. A really, really fun episode, and I can't wait to share that with you. But for now, let's slide into this week's episode and have a chat with the absolutely delightful delightful Jeremy Neal. Peace. Hi everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend, Jeremy Neal. Hey bud, how's it going? I'm very, very well. And you sir? Yeah, I'm good man, good. That's good. good to hear. We are in uh, Abbott's Hotel in Redfern. We are uh, Saturday afternoon and Mr. Jeremy Neal has just touched down, flying uh, his private jet all around the country. Classic, got some uh, sweet potato chips, which is the new breakfast of champions. Yeah, right. Wheat Bix lost the sponsorship. Oh no, for yeah, real. Yeah, it's gone now. It's sweet, he's going to be chips. pissed. He's going to be pissed, but once he comes around to sweet potato chips, he's mm. like, oh wait, no, they were right. Yeah, <laughs> I was a fool this entire time. <laughs> so how many do you do? Oh, that's the thing. See, the best thing is about the Super Soda Chips, you get your numbers way higher. Like, I remember the Wheat Bix Challenge because I was like, like, I swear that I could, like, just, like, eat more than a child could have eaten. It was just like, I, I could do 14 Wheat Bix because that's, like, 
I want to debate like whatever yeah. the highest thing was it was on the TV ads at the time. Yeah, which is bad because I'm guessing that like some kids could have died from eating too many wheat bags. Like, <laughs> oh, I've got to beat my heroes. <laughs> yeah, um, like it's automatic entry into the Australian cricket team, right? If I can eat 14 wheat bags, uh, the kid just plowing through his wheat allergy, just like puffed up purple cheeks, is just like I'm doing it for Bing. <laughs> Well, it was before the. It was before gluten allergies existed, right? Probably. It was before Shane Warne had an Instagram as well. Oh wow! Yeah, and the world was a scary place once, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, life life begins at Shane Warne's Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, the sweet potato chips you can you can do higher numbers. You know what I mean? Because you yeah, can probably eat like forty of them. So like. It's very specific. Maybe you can eat like a, maybe like seventy of them. I don't know. I haven't really figured it out. But I mean, they're all different sizes too. So like, it's, there's no like universal manager until Sanitarium gets hold of the uh, rights to them and then makes them into like little cubic units. Yes. Yeah. Oh wow, that's gonna be a beautiful day when it does happen. Sweet fix. Sweet fix. That's what they call it. Oh man, why are you not head of Sanitarium marketing? I might be after this podcast. Gets <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, it's the former head of Sanitarium. I'm leaving. Congratulations. <laughs> you got the job, kid. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jeremy, you and I met for the first time last year at uh, the wonderful, absolutely incredible day of the Blast of Times. It was a beautiful festival, very... As uh, Mr. Dion Ford said, it was a day so good that not even Shania, I'm not easily impressed Twain, could deny its excellence. <laughs> That's huge praise. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I deemed you the king of Blast that day because you were fucking everywhere. Yeah, it's by location, man. Yeah, just by location. So, let's break down your role of the day. So, you were fronting Velociraptor. Yep. Uh, you were playing a solo set. Yep. You turned up to do a duet with Donny Benet. You yeah. did a bit of a Gimme a Heat. Yeah, beautiful man. And uh, also, perhaps most importantly, <laughs> you, I, Adam Lewis, Ryan saw, I think, two other people. Uh, Nick Finlay. Yeah. And oh, there was one other mysterious person in that pit. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but collectively... We were the boys' night choir for your friend and mine, Mr. Spod. Yeah, that was a really nice moment. <laughs> that was beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> it was really nice. <laughs> and now we're still waiting for that single to come out. I assume that, like, maybe he's, like, waiting on that mysterious last member of the boys' night choir to sign off on yeah, the rights yeah, to be course. in the film clip or whatever. Yeah. God damn it, Spot, if you're listening, you gotta. it's either shit or get off the pot, mate. Look, Spot is always listening, so... Uh, <laughs> He's the new Santa. Yeah, he really yeah. is. Yeah. And he gives out boys' nights two times a weekend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's contentious. Yeah. Oh, wow, I love it. But, yeah, how was that whole experience for you? Because, yeah, that was the first time it had gone, you know, across the entire East Coast and done those three shows. Yeah, like, it was pretty... It was a pretty fucking fun time. Yeah, Bless was really heavy. Like, I just... Like, it was a very good time, but it was a, it was a very intense time. I just remember, because I was looking after so many people, because I was like, you know, I was doing logistics for both bands, and I think I was very busy outside of that, too. It was a haze, but it was a great haze. Yeah. And Blurst was, like, a tremendous thing that I wish could continue. Yeah. Um, but, it you know, it didn't go particularly well for the organisers. But they'll bounce back, and then we'll get Blurst, like, 2020. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, Blurst 2020, I can see clearly now. 
Oh, that'll be beautiful. Yeah. Get the guy who sings I can see clearly down yeah. the headline. Uh, I want to say... I want to say someone Armstrong. Someone Armstrong. Mm. That's actually a great stage name, if no one's taken that. Someone Armstrong. Reminds me of that... Yeah. Reminds me of that band that sang Breakfast at Tiffany's that were called Deep Blue Something. Uh, yes. Because they were asking a friend what their band name should be called, and he was just like, what about, instead of Deep Blue Sea, like, Deep Blue Something? And they just went with Deep Blue Something. Yeah. Well, Fucking brilliant, right? Someone Armstrong. Someone Armstrong. And it's not someone Armstrong, because I was thinking of Neil Armstrong, and that was just what he said. That was the second thing he said when he went on the moon, was like, oh, I can see clearly now. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Known. I get it. It was like a, not a, like, I can, it was like, not a physically seeing, it was like, I get it now. Yeah. You know, like, I get it, we're just insignificant in this universe. So, good. Oh, we've, we've got Neil Armstrong, if you're listening. Um... <laughs> Pretty sure he's dead. Yeah, but if he could send those, those, you know, like, psychic messages from beyond the grave to Spod to tell him to release Boys Night as soon as possible. (laughs) You know what? I reckon reckon Spod would, uh, you know, he'd he'd give Neil Armstrong an inch. Yeah. I reckon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If anyone was going to coerce him out of it, it would be old man. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Now, Jeremy. I want to know about how you got interested and involved with music originally. So, kind of take us through your upbringing and how music came to be a part of that. The first kind of experiences with music were like just that my parents listened to a lot of music. Do you want to go that far back? Do you want to go when I started playing instruments? Well, uh, let's let's go as far back as you can remember. Uh, Well, I remember my first piece of music that I was ever gifted. Uh, was the Beach Boys' greatest hits, but a double cassette version of that. Oh, nice one, yes. Which was a great start, like an actually amazing start to have. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and that was from my, my dad gave that to me. But I never really got past, like, the first four ch- tracks or whatever, because I would, like, hyper-focus on, like, how good I get around was. And oh, I yeah. think that was, like, track three even, maybe, on it. So what I would do is I would listen from the start, get to I get around and be like oh that was so awesome and then I'd go back to the start of the tape because I think there was like a one of those buttons that like you just hold it to it rewound to the back so you didn't have to guess where you were landing anyway so then I just listened to those three tracks over so was it like it was I get around surfing USA it would have been yeah totally fun, fun, fun. That. Yeah, it's pro- well I don't think it was fun 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 it was it was definitely probably surfing USA and then like I don't know maybe like Barbara Ann or something yeah like, nice yeah so it was like just hit, hit, hit. You can't go wrong. No. You can't go wrong with the Beach Boys. And it was awesome. It was like a very cool music gift. And then I remember that my first like CD music gift uh, was from probably also my mom. She gave me Seal's Kiss from a Rose oh, as nice. a single. And Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It as a single. Yeah. Yes. Like prime time singles collection. Oh, wow. Were they Kiss singles? Uh, no, they were uh, actual CD singles. So uh, yes, yes, it yes. was like where you get like five versions of the same song. Yeah. And then like a remix like of like... Like seven and a half minute remix. It's like, who asked for this? Well, it's because I think, I guess they're too freshly coming off of like the 12 inch single. You know what I mean? Yeah, like maybe yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, records weren't that long ago. People loved buying 12 inch singles of like, like I got a George Michael picture disc of a 12 inch single and I was like, yeah, people maybe love them because of, like, the picture on the disc, maybe. I, I yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So that like, was... oh, look, his face is moving while yeah. the song's playing. Yeah, it's George Michael Blur. <laughs> yeah. And then, I guess, like, the first piece of music that I bought myself, when I was gifted money with which to buy things, uh, was the greatest hits of Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh, wow. Uh, because I bought it from Brashes. I don't know if it was Brashes ever down here. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very, chain. like, very 90s, I think it was... When did that go out of business? Like, I'd say late 90s. Yes, thereabouts. 
Um, but yeah, Casey and the Sunshine Band because I think honestly, what my like drawing point into that was that you know that Simpsons episode where um, Burns commands the robot to come out and it's like does the shaky booty dance. It's yes. like the um, yeah, that was Mr. Burns commanded the robot and then yeah, started dancing. Yeah, and it plays Casey and the Sunshine Band's shaky booty. And I'm like, what a hilarious premise for a song. I, I gotta know more about this. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's Casey and the Sunshine Band. I'm like, all right, well. Let's find, let's find more songs for that bottom. Yeah, and there wasn't any on there, but you know what? You, you could move to them all. Oh, yeah, You could no still doubt. shake your booty to oh, most no things. That was basically their old mamata. That was their ethos. Yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of booty shaking. Thanks, Casey. Free the booty. I think that's very much reflected in the music you make now. There's a lot of booty shaking to be had. Yeah, well, you can... The music you play. Yeah, there, there is. Like, you know, because... I like to hit around quite up-tempo stuff all the time. That's yeah. prime booty shaking. No doubt. So when did you start playing instruments? Like, was guitar your first instrument, or did you uh, were you like a trumpet kid or anything like that? Drums. Piano lessons? Uh, drums. drums. Yeah. yeah. A very good friend of my mom's. I hung out a lot with her daughter, and uh, we were like best friends when we were like 12, maybe. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and so she'd started learning drums. She got a drum kit, and she was learning with a teacher, and then like... Every time I'd see her, she'd teach me secondhand what she'd learned in those lessons. Yep. And then that was just as I was bored, like heading into high school. So then, as we were starting high school, there was like a drum. You could learn drums at school, but to do so, you'd have to be in the concert band. That was like the trade-off. Right. Yeah. Um, which is fun, you know. Like, what else was I doing? Um, so I joined the concert band, but I wasn't like the best drummer. So I was always put on auxiliary percussion. So it's like, oh, oh yeah. someone else is going to be leading the charge, and. You and another my other friend John were both like putting this percussion like section of it, which is fine because it was easy. You know, you just shaking some rackets. It's <laughs> cool. Yeah, and then so I learnt that for a bit in a formal setting, but you didn't really get past the like the snare or anything. Like they yeah, just do yeah, like yeah. you know like kind of patterning stuff. Um, so mainly yeah. it was just like you know learning through osmosis of my surroundings of like other people also trying to learn things and everybody constantly trying to one up the other person. Yeah. You know? And that was the same for guitar as well, which we all started learning in grade eight at high school, um, and we were just trying to one up each other on like learning the best riffs. And I was never really uh, into very intricate music, so a lot of my friends who were really into Metallica were like, you know, they were getting good at guitar really quick because they were yeah. like, and I was like, oh, I don't actively listen to Metallica, um, so I don't know what I'm going to learn to like, like show you guys up. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got left behind in the solos, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> Who needs them? That's why I just, and I just played the drums a lot more. So That's why you get Chucky Sailing. That's right. I, was, I had this like amazing network now, like flash forward many years. I have an amazing network of people. I'm glad I don't shred because I may not have never met these people because yeah. they might have considered me enemies in the shred zone. It's a, it's a fucking brutal area, it's isn't vicious, it? It's vicious, man. The shred zone. It's, it's vicious. Oh, man. It's Different so rules. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, after going through and playing in the school band like when did you actually join a band for the first time oh straight up like grade 8 first show we ever played we covered uh, some Green Day songs nice and some Jebediah songs oh of course we played Animal yes yeah it was awesome. that was unreal yeah it was unreal it's an unreal song unreal band like yeah. um, have you ever played you've played with them now haven't you I guess technically yeah because yeah. of uh, yours and Al's oh first. the Farmer and the Owl that's Farmer right the yeah. Owl. yeah 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 Played um, on the same stage. Yeah. <laughs> we just like, holy shit, play with Jebediah. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, like, I've always wanted to meet him because some of those songs, like, I, don't know, I just, you know, it was because it was the time before you have, like, 
streaming or the time before yeah, you were downloading yeah, yeah. music. Oh, it was so very informative, just, for sure. And you just smashed a CD. Like, I paid $30 or $25 for the CD. It's all I'm going to listen to. Yeah. So I've listened to of Someday Shambles and uh, Slightly Odd Way, like, yeah. so much. Totally. Yeah. Round of the Company, Star Machine, like... You can't yeah. go wrong. So anyway, that was the kind of thing. And we, none of us could really sing, but we had a singer who was willing to sing. That was mainly the main thing, you know? Um, One of those short straw things. That's such a high school thing. It's just like, I don't want to sing. I don't want to sing. Oh, yeah. fuck. I'll do it. I'll then. do it. And mm. it never was great. So what we did was then we were like, well, look, we can't really sing. We'll move into theme songs because that's more about just like presenting like something. And a lot of those are instrumental as well. Mm. So like uh, that took the pressure off like having to be writing much or you know, doing anything, just an entertainment band. So we did the Pizza Hut theme. Oh, um, nice. I don't know, it would have had different numbers here, but back in Briz it was like um, 3892111111. Oh, we had 1311166. Cool, yeah. Would that work into the jingle as well? Yeah, 1311166. So we did that. So how did yours work? 3892111, Oh, right, right, right. So it'd be like the actual meter yeah yeah totally had to like drop in yeah yeah and I think that was because it used to be 892111 and then when they put the you know like the suffix in uh, yeah the, like, prefix of the number thing anyway it was uh, yeah the 3 got in there so they made a big deal about like 3892 yeah <laughs> so that's just one of the songs we played the Buffy theme we played the Angel oh, theme yes. we played Beyblades we played uh, the Dragon Ball Z theme what? Um, Ghostbusters. Oh, X-Men theme. Riffs for days. Yeah, man. So that was that's my high school music, really. Fuck, that's unreal, man. That's so cool. And, you know, I did eventually, like, towards the end of it, I started writing songs. Now very basic, you know, power, I guess pop punk, I would say. Very pop yeah, right. Kind of songs. Green Day. I loved Green Day, yeah. Yeah, that was super formative. A huge part of... A lot of people's growing up, eh? Hey? Yeah. So that was that was high school. Yeah, right. Yeah. Beyond that, like, uh, when did you start kind of playing under your own name, or did that come um, a bit later? That came quite a bit later. Like, my first foray into playing my own songs in public was the birth of Velociraptor, which was, right. like, 2008. Really? Um, and so be- how old were you at that point? Uh, 20... It must be 20 or 21. You know, I'd written stuff before, and with the same two people, because it was me, Shane Parsons, and Simon Ridley were the original, like, three-piece version of Velociraptor. Shout out to the boys, yeah. The boys, the boys are listening. They're always listening. Too soon. I met Shane in uni. And, uh, yeah. Um, so we, tried, we were kind of, like, playing around in a band in 2006, but we never played a show. Yeah. Because I couldn't get my life together at that point. Like, I was in a really kind of, like, you know, such a, like, a dark post-high school place where I just couldn't know what I wanted to do with my life and that was like affecting all other like things were you at uni? I was at uni yeah and that was like terrible for me yeah what were you doing? um, I was doing education for a year and a half and then I did business um, and I ended up in like public relations but I I got like I was eight subjects away from finishing but I never finished maybe it was nine subjects it was very close anyway it seems like it was like people were like why didn't you finish you're so close I was like it was totally destroying me it was just not for me. Mm. So it was that dark period where I just was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And, um, you know, it was that time when you look around, you see everybody else you know in your life, and they seem to know exactly what they're doing, or they seem to have it all laid out. 
They don't, because you find out later on, years down the track, that they chop and change many times too. But it's of in, course. The, in that initial period where you're like, oh, am I the only person who doesn't know what I want to do with my life? Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to create, but I just didn't think it was feasible because I hadn't been raised. Uh, I had been raised that way, but I put a lot of expectations on myself, I guess, sure, to be yeah. like, no, you've got to go and find a way to make good living in a nine to five. What yeah. will that be? But I don't fit into the nine to five, you know? Do you fit the nine to five? No, sir. No, it's really tough. It's like it it's really not is. natural. It's as far removed from our natural, like you know, uh, uh, um, I want to say like um, evolutionary, like uh, path as it, as possible. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's totally a construct. Um, anyway, and some people can do it. Some people can't. I can't yeah. do it. This is a dark period of time. We're talking two thousand six, um, and I'm playing in a band with Shane and Sai, and it's called Down Forward Punch. You know, like, down forward punch okay. because it's like what you'd press in to like do like a Hadouken in Street Fighter oh, or like Hadouken, yes. yeah and we were like and we were all we were just obsessed with fighting games and we wanted to make like pretty like actually quite brutal music as well like not brutal brutal but like semi brutal you know what I mean what were you playing in this band uh, I was playing guitar okay yeah uh, so me and Shane were doing like a um, like a dual guitar attack and Ridley was playing drums and we didn't really have a lot of song content, so we were writing about just like, yeah, you know, Mortal Kombat. Like, what a, what a great yeah. subject matter, you know. What, what more do you need? Yeah, and it was very satisfying to play. And we just, but we just never, we never played a gig. So you know, flash forward a couple of years, I get my shit together, I start like demoing a bunch of songs. Yeah, I randomly meet Shane and Sai in a bar. Um, they're drinking because their band Denzel precursor to DZ has just broken up and they're like this is shit because their drummer had to move away and I was like this is just crap what are we going to do I was like boys chance meeting that we would be here tonight because I have a collection of great songs that I think you'll enjoy and uh, <laughs> if you do say so yourself yeah so I, I sent them the songs and they're like yeah he's really good let's do this thing let's go and find a drummer because we were like we'll all front across the front and we'll get someone to drum for us right um and meanwhile, they were working on DZ. They were trying to figure out how to, you know, make it really go as a two-piece. Yeah, right, so, right, right. you know, Ridley was getting his, like, you know, intense drum training on. And, and we were trialing drummers for, you know, the early incarnation of Velociraptor. And we couldn't get a drummer that would, like, get it. Like, a, uh, or just could play... Like, I tried a drummer who was, like, very technically good, but had never played with a band before. I didn't really know what to do. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's not going to work. And another guy was like, oh, he was like self-taught. Um, and he eventually went on to join Velociraptor later. But at this initial stage, couldn't do the drums that were required for it. Because he's like, he's a very like, individualistic kind of drummer. Um, Jesse Hawkins is his name. He uh-huh. went on to form a two-piece band with me as well a couple of years later called Tiger Beams. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe he was around about the same time as well. Maybe I got him across because we were already playing in Tiger Beams. <laughs> um, but anyway, so sorry, this is a convoluted story. No, of course, come on. It's going to get there. Um, and then so we just couldn't get a drummer. And then one day I was like in my garage and I was like, wait. I had like this Tony Stark, like Iron Man kind of moment. And I was like, I was like, you know, he's in the cave in the first movie or whatever. Yeah, and he's yeah, just yeah. like, I've got to have to build my way out. I was like, wait a second. And I saw the drum kit and I was like, I raised everything up in my mind. And I was like, I could play this standing up. And it would still be very commanding. So then I would become the drummer and the singer. Because I always had this thing where I didn't like sitting down drummers being frontmen because I didn't think it was very commanding. Right. And it can be with the right person. Sure, yeah. But I was like, no, not for me. I've got to be standing up. We've got to be like a straight line of attack. And so that's what happened. 
I mean, hit the road, hit the hit the uh, gig circuit as a three piece Velociraptor. As a three piece Velociraptor, it boggles the mind to think, you know, what Velociraptor became. Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of like we were kind of a bit more primalish back in the day, I guess, and a little bit more like purposely aggressive or something. Yeah, sure. Um, still like pop sensibilities, but things are a lot. I was screaming probably a lot more. You know, because yeah. I was like, I gotta fill that space somehow without all these guitars. But, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was that was the band. Well, how the fuck do you end up with twelve people in your band? Well, I started partying a lot, and I didn't know many people, but I kept meeting these great people just through music, as you do, yeah, as you're like the greatest testament in the world to meeting great people through music, right? <laughs> oh, you're too kind. But it's true, though, right? And like, how fulfilling is life as well? Going about in the music scene, like just great people. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like the best kind of like progressive group of people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so yeah, I met, you know, um, people like DJ Wire, but like back in 2009 and in Brisbane, you know, yeah. like your counter world equivalents. Just, yeah, make, make great friends. I was like, wait a second, we should definitely all play together. We've got to play together in a band. So I just kind of kept recruiting these people. It's like, I like what you're doing. What do you think about what I'm doing? Want to be in the band? <laughs> and like things, because that was kind of born out of necessity and kind of born out of fun, like... Um, you know, DZ, obviously, because they started doing the two-piece thing, and they were kind of taking off, and they were out of town, like, you know, at least once a month, and that was kind of like, I wanted to be in a point where I could still accept all the gigs that were being offered to us. Yeah. So, that's when we started recruiting other people, so we had, like, home and away team, and then one night when everyone was in town, we were like, wait a second, what if a home and away team both played? And this was, like, at the juncture point of, like, a seven-piece, and we were like... Wow, that was awesome. We should never play with less than seven people. And then so to do that, when you've got other people all away, you need to have a base of at least nine people. And we're like, you know, so occasionally you play with nine people, you're like, yeah, this is great. Okay, we can keep going. And then that's how we ended up like 12. And then eventually the people moving overseas, the total tally is 14 people officially yeah, in the right. band. Holy shit. Have you ever played with all 14? No, because, because we got the other, we got 13 and 14 in after three people moved overseas so there's never been that many people in the same town one guy went missing oh no shit yeah well I mean self-imposed missing but he just he like ditched his phone digital social media no longer exists to us um, to anybody that we know wow yeah I mean he's still alive I have confirmation but yeah like you know turmoil uh, besieges a band of that many people because statistically anything can happen yeah. that's fucking wild yeah uh, and you know, yeah, a few guys still live overseas, and Shane lives here in Sydney. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> no, it's always fascinating. I've always, I've, I've seen Velociraptor in a varying degree of lineups. I think the least I've ever seen you play with, I think, is five. Yeah, maybe yeah. five or six. That's when budget touring mode. That's when my credit card is like at absolute max, and I'm just like, I just can't, can't do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And they all know I would if I could. Yeah, I do. But yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Oh man, can, I can only imagine it's a fucking logistical nightmare sometimes. Just like, oh fuck this. Why am I in this stupid novelty band? <laughs> totally. <Don't play. laughs> you know, it's just like it's just like want to do. I guess like it's one of those things that we like. I just like entertainment. I think it's like that's my main thing. Like I love music, but I prefer to be entertained. If I can have both, then I like both. Yeah, I think sure. That's like. That's the thing. Yeah. So even if it's, you know, entertaining in a stage show, but also entertaining as a concept, just so people hear it for the first time, they're like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And I'm just like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so you mentioned another band um, that you, that came a little bit after Velociraptor, mm. um, Tiger Lights. Oh, Tiger Beams. Tiger Beams. Yeah. So tell us about that. Well, um, it's very hard to find that stuff online now because the, the guy who was the other half of that band is the guy who, same guy disappeared from... Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so Jesse Hawkins, who's a lobby dude, um, just needed his own space, and so he took it, and that's great. Like, I commend the guy for doing what he needed to do for him. And so we formed this band. It was very much like... It was very like a minimalistic lo-fi kind of thing, kind of like heavily inspired by the Beastie Boys, like elements of electro and then elements of like... Uh, just like kind of like two guys in a garage kind of vibe as well. But he was a big... Like Jesse's big hip hop guy, so we um, yeah yeah kind of did. We busting out some mad rhymes. Uh, more so, it was more so like you know the, the Beastie Boys element where everybody gets in on the last word of the sentence kind of thing, you know, like good shouts, good gang yeah. shouts. So that was essentially uh, you know the elements of which uh, we incorporated into that. So where do we go from here? Like, so you had Velociraptor going, you had this band going, like. Yeah. At what point do you kind of expand out into your own stuff? Uh, 2012, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, maybe it was 2011. I was kind of in the formative thing of where I was like, I got some songs that aren't involved in bands. Like, maybe I can be, you know, the quintessential acoustic singer-songwriter. I always loved Paul Simon. I love Ben Quella. You know, that kind of vibe. I was like, yeah, I could probably just do the singer-songwriter thing. And I've seen a lot of people do that I enjoy. And I have enough of that in the catalogue. So I started playing that. But... I was too many very disappointing experiences from playing just on your own because yeah. nobody like sometimes it, I, like I think it got to this point where I played a show it was probably it was probably 2011 and it was just like myself there the other person who was playing the show yeah. and then like her parents um, and the oh. booker yeah right yeah and um, I was just like and the book was my, was my good mate, Dom Miller. And I was looked up to him after and I was like, all right, it's time to change the game. And then that's when I like, like went and recorded a, a single, which was like uh, my 2012 release of Winter Was The Time. And I started, I formed a band and then uh, went from there. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, I had to turn things around because it just didn't work. It obviously wasn't engaging. And also, um, it's just very... Uh, I, like I asked myself the question like if I was watching this would I be entertained and yeah. I was like no I don't want to see some guy like you know therapeutically venting his own like uh, angst on an acoustic guitar um, and so yeah I was like let's write some like danceable hits like songs that I would enjoy watching as much as I enjoy writing um, so yeah I just went with a different portion of my catalogue and made that my solo band do you think you'll ever return to being a lone acoustic act, or do you uh, think it's just not in your DNA? I would do it with a backing track, maybe. Um, and I love playing. Like I did play a couple of shows on this tour run. It's just me. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I did a show in Adelaide. I did a show in like Brisbane, like to do like a record install. Um, okay. And that was great. Like I love playing songs that are not like songs that have been released in the world as like full band songs or as singles in a stripped back mode. Um, but I just think. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of acoustic song that I enjoy now than what I than maybe the typical singer songwriter on an acoustic. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. Course. Just like I still like pop hits on, on an acoustic. It's, yeah, it's good. So yeah. And you've been playing with a few other acts uh, recently as well in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, I 
he used to play drums for a lot of bands in Brisbane. Oh, is um, it? That's just—it's—it's it's almost the trout, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's like the one drummer spread across like six bands because no oh, one knows drummers. Definitely, man. I was definitely playing in like, yeah, probably like three or four bands at any one point, like playing drums. And I was like, wait a second, like, what I really want to be is a songwriter. So I need to just pull back and focus on that. Um, and yeah pressing forward with my own catalogue so yeah that's that's why I kind of but I, I would like to get back into playing drums from the bands like, well, maybe one band you know not go overboard but it is very fun to play so. oh no doubt yeah. yeah it's yeah it's just a difficult thing to balance isn't it where you just I, I'm like this I don't know if you're like this but sometimes it's like no matter what kind of music you're listening to or going to see you're just sitting there going like Fuck, I'd love to be in a band like that. Totally, man. I'm yeah? exactly like that. Because I'm always like, the last thing I heard is what I want to write as well. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, that would be so good. And there's just not enough time to do all that, is there? Yeah. Like, you can't be in that many bands, but... It, that's why, like, something like Ween is really ideal, you know? Where, like, they do whatever the fuck they want to do uh, every song. They approach every song in the way that they want to do it. And yeah, That's yeah. kind of fun. And that's where I see, like, yeah, elements of, like... Like, you know, like, comedy artists as well get to kind of do whatever they want and stuff. Yeah. Like, that's, like, kind of interesting there's an appeal to that but it's also like a route you don't want to go down yeah it's tough yeah. I mean you're a very funny guy but you know at the same time you don't want to you don't want to be like the novelty act no totally and that's the thing because you can like it's weird because people might start to discount the things you were saying of importance is like oh everything's a joke but not everything's a joke you can have fun in a lot of situations. I think that's the best thing about watching you play. You, you always know there's a lot of positive energy going on in there, man. Yeah, I think. You know, I, I don't think you can be a bad in a bad mood and that's your show. No, I, I, I don't want don't want people to be in a bad mood at the Jeremy show. The other thing as well is like, you know, yeah, like a positive environment is so important. Like a like a non pretentious, no judgment zone environment is so important for music as well. Like I think like to foster that environment in a, at an event as well. So, anyway, music. <laughs> music, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's everywhere, man. It, it really is. in the background right now. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like, it's got some kind of disco beat, but it sounds like it could be a 90s production. I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing, kind of disco kind of came back around that time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Madison <laughs> Avenue. Oh, what a time. I don't know if that's disco, but it's just someone posted about it yesterday. I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> that was a fascinating concept. Yeah. They're one of those rare ones. It was they were never two hit wonder. Yeah, totally. It's, isn't it like you can name so many one hit wonders off the top of your head? But you, you can't think of that many that had another one to follow it up and then yeah. fell off the face of the earth. But could you imagine as well? Like, this is what I think about sometimes as well. It's like at what point uh, do you call like if you were dealing with someone who has a worldwide smash, but they had a lot of smashes in their own smash hits in their own country. But you only heard of them because they had one song so big that it kind of like made it over international waters. Like, yeah. you know, like you would say that like Gautier has had quite a few hits, but for what the rest of the world may know, yeah, of him, it's just the it's one. Just the one. Yeah. So like, it just depends on the territory you're in at the time, I guess. Yeah. As to like, you know, maybe like people in your own city who have seen your shows like you know twenty times, like oh that guy's whole set's full of hits. <laughs> but another guy's like, no, he's only had one radio hit, and like, whatever. You know? Whatevs. Whatevs. You know you've written a hit. You know when you've written a hit. No you just doubt. know. You just, you know right then and there. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so, where do you see things going from here? Like, you mentioned, like, maybe wanting to get back into playing drums again, or do you want to keep focusing more on the solo stuff at the moment? Yeah, or, I, like... I think it'll just... Like, I'm very much at a crossroads in my life right now where I want to simplify things. Like, I... You know, I buried myself in a bunch of debt through touring, uh, like touring Velociraptor and like recording and yeah, a lot of yeah. things like that. And so I kind of like, you know, I stuck my head down the last six months and like been, you know, working max hours at a job and just get myself back to square one. And then I just want to keep things nice and light, you know, it's just like, well, I've been writing a bunch of songs for an album. I'd like to record that and I'll put it out in the world and I'll just see how it goes and we'll just take it from there. And I was beautiful, man. I'll do it exactly how I want to do it. Like the songs I'm writing, exactly what I want to write, as it always is. And then I want to make sure that it's time I'm not rushing, get things done too. So I just want to like, when the record is ready, it'll come out. Yeah. Which I'm still hoping will be, and the album will be out by the end of the year. But I want to do like, you know, I want to have the film film clips done well in advance. So I'm not like, you know, oh, it's a week till I got to put a film clip out. Quickly, better go and film, and then, you know, stress to get it edited in time. Like I just want to take the Take the stress out. Just keep it really simple. Yeah. That's so, very important, man. Yeah, I think it's super important, but I think it's super easy to get swept up in like, oh, I gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta do this, like this certain time. No one cares what time you do it by, really, except maybe the label. Yeah. But they're nice. They're nice people. Just, I'll just give them the completed product <laughs> this time instead of being like. Yeah, I can get you the completed product by this date. And it's like, no, I can't. No, you can't. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> I just won't sleep for a few weeks. Yeah. Just get that internal dialogue going. It's yeah. Like, yeah. The demon on one shoulder and the angel on the other. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It's a conflicting, conflicting experience. It's pretty tough. <laughs> all right, so we'll wrap it up here. But before I do that, I ask this of all of my guests. Yeah. And now this is your turn, young man. I want to know about your best and worst gig experiences as a performer ever. All right. Feel free to start on either or. The floor is yours. Starting on the worst, whilst I think of the best, we played with Velociraptor in Amsterdam at the Paradiso. No shit. Wow, yeah. Uh, for a... Um, it was a London Calling was the name of the little festival. Great venue, by the way. Like, awesome. But we got on stage and there was like only clean amps like there was no way to get drive out of the amps they were like they're like because of the like whatever volume they wanted the stage noise beyond we couldn't get them to break up so i don't know if they were like there was some kind of like fender twin or something but they didn't have it i don't know they just couldn't get them to break up so we were playing with these like four identical amps no one had brought pedals because we were just like oh we're kind of having a holiday and we're touring so we'll just keep it live and i'm sure the gear will be fine anyway so we're up there playing as like the jangle raptors um, just <laughs> piercing treble. Um, doing, doing, uh, doing, yes. It was, it's like, oh no. It was a nightmare. And then the only you know local phrase I could remember as well was kike out footy feet in, which is watch out for the bikes. You know, I should have learned more things to like endear myself to the audience, but we didn't really have anything else to do except play jangly music and tell people to watch out for the bikes so that was all we offered in that situation but probably like my worst actual point though was playing sorry I'm giving you multiple worst ones but no, I, think that's perfect. I think this is very important because you know it just helps people put everything else in perspective we're playing a show with Velociraptor again it was the last show on our first tour maybe okay. we ever did and it was a really intense tour because we were like well we're going to hire this van and we're gonna, we played like five shows in Melbourne in three nights and then we came to Sydney and maybe did like four shows in three nights or something like that or 
And our last show was at the gallery bar of Oxford Art Factory. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And this was like our big show. It was like last show of the tour, and it was like oh, our, our potential booking agent who had been, you know, interested in us was like, oh, I've brought down a bunch of people from the office, and, you know, they'll see you guys play, and then we can definitely, like, you know, officially make make you guys on the roster. And our, we had two managers at that point. One of our managers was driving around, he was like, Let's get you boys some drinks. Last night, let's party. Mm-hmm. So we all we went to the bottle of, we got a bottle of well, a bottle of whiskey maybe, and we were uh, drinking that straight at the car park like it was a great idea. Uh-huh. And I got way too wasted and couldn't really play. Like at one point, like like and all I had to do was sing. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was sing. But I couldn't even re- like a sing. But I was like, I face planted on stage at one point. Oh no! I was singing on That's the- a tiny fucking stage. It's a tiny stage, and the I was singing on the bar. Like I stood on the bar with the like the and was singing on that. And then the security was like, "What are you doing, mate? If you do that again, you're out." And yeah, so I was just a loose cannon, and no one was impressed, especially not our potential booking agents, who then you know made us go through the uh, hoops for the next like six months to try and prove that we were like a stable choice of a band. Yes, it's really hard to do because like you know we were like flying two shows that we would lose a lot of money on just because we really wanted to get it over the line and make up for that one mistake that I'd made by getting too boozed and ruining a set. So. You know, that's the thing about, like, you know, very quick moments can have lasting repercussions, as we all know. And mm-hmm. that was, uh, that was, that was that. Shit. But yeah, you know, uh, on the flip side, the best parts about music, or the best time, I don't know what the best time was. I mean, that boys' night choir was <laughs> really good. I do like moments like that. Like, I like, I like the joy of it. Like, yeah, it's just pure joy of everybody, like, being in, like, a vibing place is the thing. I don't know if I have a specific moment that I like but I would say that my favourite thing in music is generally just meeting people like so that doesn't really count for a gig memory I'm sorry but it's just like it's just like I've met so many wonderful people and I can I still meet wonderful people uh, like just after shows or um, yeah I don't know it's nice to be nice to be a musician part of the music scene and it's nice to have such nice fans like I've yeah. got really lovely fans like something I'm doing in the music is communicating to the right people and you know like I was in like this is here's a, right, here's a recent very good moment okay I was in Perth on the weekend last weekend uh-huh. a fan there by the name of Bryce Newton lovely person she made me a shirt and she had like sewn uh, I don't know what it's called if it's like called uh, there's a cross stitch I don't really know the terminology okay but it's like uh, anyway she sewn this like JN insignia patch on my shirt here for and then real? on the back it said get ready for the news in reference to my song the news and it had a dolphin with a TV remote chilling back in its seat watching the TV and I was like that's like intricate and amazing what a wonderful gift and so those kind of things are like the best that's incredible man oh that's so beautiful yeah so anyway that's music so good dude um okay so this will be going up at the start of next year do you have anything to plug what do you got planned for 2016 uh nothing yet hey I'm gonna be recording and uh yeah so maybe just uh plug anything I would say join my mailing list oh yeah because that's a good place to give up to date with what's going on and maybe press the subscribe thing to me on Facebook because 
I keep having to pay for Facebook ads anytime I want to promote anything with an outside link. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, they don't, they don't stop my comedy posts, but they stop my outside links when I want to let people know the shows are on. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah, so find ways to stay in touch. Get all up in your socials. Yeah, get Google up in Google Jeremy Neal and uh, yeah, let, them, a, let the magic take you. Set up a Google alert for Jeremy <laughs> A ping, yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, someone's talking about jazz again. <laughs> Spod's listening, he'll know. Oh, yeah. He's got a Google alert. <laughs> for you. <laughs> Just checking his phone every couple of minutes. Everyone talking about Jeremy? Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Oh, oh good, good. Oh, Illegal downloads of MP3s. <laughs> That's most of the Google alerts I get is honestly like where you can download my MP3s illegally oh that's handy which is great because I don't want to pay for that stuff <laughs> you gotta hunt them down oh I'm gonna hunt them down and say thanks <laughs> thanks for caring enough to put me on your side <laughs> I love it Jeremy thank you so much for your time my friend thanks David legend man I'm David James Young and all my friends are in love This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.